peace of Christ be with you. Give yourself about three deep breaths to be drawn into the presence of the Spirit. Friends, let us worship the living God. As you are able, please rise in body and spirit for the call to worship. Let us worship God together. Let us sing praises and search for gratitude. Let us pray for each other, for ourselves and our world. Let us commit to living out our faith with integrity. Let us be governed by a spirit of humility. Let us follow Jesus Jesus into the world.
You may be seated. Welcome to worship here at Westminster Presbyterian. We're glad that you're here, whether you're a first-time visitor or a long-time member or anywhere in between. I hope you take a moment to look around during the service at some point and find some folks you don't recognize and take that step after the service to reach out and introduce yourself. In, in a month or so, we'll have scores of people coming to check out churches as the school year starts, and we would do well to be in the habit of not just being sort of warm when approached, but inviting, actively reaching out and connecting and welcoming. So I encourage you to do that today. During the offering, if you would pass down that friendship register, uh, that way you can see who's worshiping around you. And if you'd like to hear from us at the church, you can leave us your contact information. You can also go to our welcome table out there in the narthex and get a little bit of information and ways to be more deeply in touch. With that, let's join together in the community prayer, which is printed in your bulletin. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, when we are weary, you call us into the safety of your rest. When we are strident, you call us to account. When we simply stray, you call us back onto paths of righteousness. It is easy to point out the faults of others. Help us to be reflective about our own actions, corporately and individually. Give us the clarity of vision to see how to navigate difficult waters, the strength to persevere, and the trust that in you we can find our way. Amen. Our prayers continue in quiet. Friends, hear the good news of the gospel. Anyone in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Know that we've been set free from the bondage to sin and be at peace. Amen. As we invite the children forward for a time of discovery, a special uh, note for those, it's four to seven, I believe, ages four to seven, are starting a special new program today. Uh, called Our Sacred Stories, and uh, when they're dismissed, they will go with Adrian. Adrian, wave for us uh, over to the other building. Adrian and Sharon will be beginning that. So if you're one of the youngsters or you're one of the parents of the youngsters, that's where you're going to go right after this. And they can pick up their children where afterwards? Over in the preschool building across the playground if you need to pick up your four- to seven-year-old. Okay, great. Jeff, take it away. Sure, and if you're confused still, just find myself or Adrian, Rob, we're happy to point you in the right decision. So we returned from a mission trip, a trip where we go with our high schoolers and a couple of adults to go serve people. And I have some questions for you. What if I told you we were going to take a vacation and we were going to sleep on the floor every day and we were going to shower in kind of a dirty place and we were going to work six hours a day Brother, does that sound like a good vacation? No. <laughs> it doesn't? Does that sound like fun? No. Okay, can I, can I show you something that might change your mind? Okay, we're going to watch a movie today, all right? So, these are some sites 
and videos and pictures of things that happened on that week. It's right over here on the screen.
let me tell you about what you just saw. We got to hang out with three other churches. One of them was from Seattle, one was from Sunnyvale, not far from here, and one was from Los Angeles. They were Lutheran churches, they were charismatic churches that do church very differently than we do, and we stayed at a church that has worship service in Spanish and English. And we made meals together, we cleaned up after each other, we worshiped together, and we served other people. Some of our group, they made over a thousand lunches every day for people that needed food. Some of the people sorted 2,000 pounds of plums. We planted trees. We got to sort through clothes. That's what you saw, the curly fries uh, costume. I don't know who needs that, but uh, that was sorted probably in the don't need bin. <laughs> we got to do all those things, and we got to meet some really interesting people. We got to meet a family that they live in a car. They don't have a home, and they have three little girls who are your age four years old, six years old, and 12 years old, and they got to talk and share with us about how they go to school if they don't live in a home, and how they, what they do if someone gets hurt, and how they take care of their nails, and how they get a shower, all these different things that are so different. We got to hear from people who, who grew up in Puerto Rico and Hayes, Kansas, which is pretty much the same place, <laughs> and they shared with us about their life growing up and what brought them to spend a whole summer in San Diego sleeping on a floor, serving people like us. We got to meet a lot of cool people. And one day, if you're lucky, you'll get to do this with us. And you'll also get to ride roller coasters with us. So, but for today, we are going to follow Ms. Adrian and Mr. Grayson out those doors. And as Rob said, we have the special class going on the preschool uh, building across the way. Third through fifth grade will still be in Finley Hall, and anyone having just completed or entering middle school will follow me. So let's go. Well, it's indeed a joy to see just a taste of what the youth have been up to, and I invite you to follow up directly with the youth. That would be Jeff's preference, but if need be, also with him or with the other adults, and plug yourself into that program if you want to get involved in the life of this church more deeply. What other joys and concerns do you bring with you this morning? Denny. Denny, I know, speaks for many of us in lifting up prayer for those who are trying to keep people and property safe from these fires. At the 830 service, we heard a tale of um, someone whose family's neighborhood was spared by a, you know, a, a plane that flew 200 feet above the fire to, to drop retardant and stop it. And uh, I add to that uh, our willingness to listen to the crying out of the earth in this time. Yes, Joe. Oh, goodness. Um, 
So we join Joe in celebrating her husband's 70th birthday, all the more joyful because he's been living with pancreatic cancer for a year and a half. And in that joy, we also lift up his business partner's child who's got bacterial meningitis. Yeah, Bruce. Just prayers for a successful surgery I'm having on Tuesday. Yeah, Bruce has got a procedure on Tuesday, and so we hold you in prayer. Uh, yeah, Carolyn, and then Barb. So two, two grandbabies born quite premature. Uh, one is already home, and the other hopefully home soon. Barb. Barb lifts up prayers for those marching for peace in an open society and also for those children who have yet to be reunited with their folks. And some of what you saw, Jeff spoke about it more at 8.30, so you can ask him. Uh, in the video, was, was um, the youth went down to the border and had some engagements there and were actually on Telemundo and some other television networks. You can ask Jeff to tell you more about that. Clark. I know this sounds like a good deal I don't think so. <laughs> Amen. So one year of marriage for Ruthie and Clark, and we are thrilled for you and with you. Oh, I couldn't be more honored than to do that. I thought I saw others. Uh, yeah, Scotty. And Scotty prays for the press, often in places of danger. Yeah, Chris, and then over here, I thought. Chris, did you have one? <laughs> Bob, you're supposed to hide it a little better than that. Yeah. <laughs> grandson and, a, and grateful for a congregation of prayer. Welcome to Peter in a second. Did I see something over here? Okay. Joan. Oh, gosh. Okay. Joan lifts up her German exchange daughter who has been diagnosed with brain cancer. Peter. Peter prays for his father who's been sick and in and out of the hospital this summer. That's kept Peter away from us, I know, for a good bit of time. So it's wonderful to have you back, and we'll keep praying for you and for your dad. Well, let's bring all of that together into prayer. Mindful that we carry all these things together and all those things unspoken Maybe because they're too tender to share. Or we're not sure how to share them. 
those wounds which are deep and cut beyond those gathered in this room. Also, those occasions for gratitude, which perhaps we've taken for granted, we lift all of them up as one varied and diverse community to the same God, seeking grace, guidance, goodness. So we pray for all these things and all the things unspoken in the name of the one who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
scripture this morning comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 through chapter 5, verse 2. So then, putting away falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not make room for the devil. Thieves must give up stealing. Rather, let them labor and work honestly with their own hands, so as to have something to share with the needy. Let no evil talk come out of their mouths, but only what is useful for building up, as there is need, so that your words may give grace to who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander, together with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as as God in Christ has forgiven you. Have I ever shown you my waterproof Bible? Oh, no, yeah, this is terrific. It looks just like any other Bible. You may not believe me, but I'm going to prove it to you that this this really works. Not on the carpet. I know the sexton in the buildings and grounds. Buildings and grounds commission has made more than one person disappear in their time. So I'll just... Just to be safe, we moderate these things. I suppose I should flip it to Jonah. (laughs) What what a good Bible joke. Now we're really... But really, you can just, you can pour it right on there, and nothing happens. You just kind of, just kind of dust it off, a little towel here and there, no smudge. Look at that. still works. Why on earth you would have this, I have no idea. Um... I mean, who needs to read that much that they take it into the tub with them? A friend brought that back for me one time from a youth ministry conference. It's the kind of thing you can get at a youth ministry conference. It, of course, totally misses the point of youth ministry, which is not to provide gimmicks to draw people in. Youth, like people who aren't youth, simply want authenticity. They want genuine interest in them. They want real relationship, not gimmicks. And real relationship matters, deeply matters. I'm not sure it's harder to find real relationships these days, but I am pretty sure that we find real relationships in different places than we used to. Modern technology, that which you can hold in the palm of your hand, connects us to those all the way across the country, if not the globe. In doing so, however, it makes it easier not to be connected to those next door. We can be selective about what we hear, what we read, and with whom we interact, which has its perks, but also its downsides. You see, when I 
read Ephesians imploring us to speak the truth to our neighbors, either in a dry Bible or a wet Bible, I'm left to ask the question first, do we even know our neighbors? Are we in real relationship with them? I thought about it this week. It's been years, maybe even a decade, since I've had a substantive conversation with a geographic neighbor. Think about that. I remember being in seminary, and I was taking a class on ecology and new creation. It was essentially theology in light of the environmental crisis that was coming, and many would say has started to come already. And one of our assignments was simply to go outside once a day for a half an hour in the very same spot and sit there and just start to notice what was happening for a month or something like that. I chose a little portion of land in the backyard of the house that I was sharing, and there I sat day after day. And most days, one of the things I noticed was that my next-door neighbor would come out and garden. He was also a seminarian, though a class above me, and so we didn't really know each other. And wouldn't you know, inevitably, the end of all those half-hour sessions would be this guy and I talking across the fence. And over time, a friendship budded, and a couple years later, he stood next to me at my wedding. Now, what are we missing by not knowing our neighbors, those neighbors? Part of what I think we're missing is a daily reminder that our neighbors are people. Not labels, not things, not objects that you can fit neatly into a box that you've described and labeled and packaged and not allowed to grow or evolve or change. But things. The, uh, the Jewish philosopher Martin Buber uh, talked about uh, how at the heart of relationship is the recognition of what he calls the I-thou, as opposed to the I-it. Relating to others as full beings, as subjects, not objects. And so often we reduce the other to objects. I think it's pretty obvious that speaking the truth to the other doesn't stand a chance in this day and age if we're not in real relationship with the other. It's a failed project. Whether it should be or shouldn't is a different conversation. We live in this era where we're surrounded by people who the facts don't matter, truth doesn't matter. Oh, what is truth? We hear people saying in a manner of speaking, which is exactly what Pontius Pilate said right before he killed Jesus. What's truth? So whether it should be or it shouldn't be, truth doesn't seem to land. Evidence isn't enough to convince people of things. It's through relationship that real change happens. Real conversion happens. Now, we rightfully and thankfully live in an era in which we don't just casually wield around truth with a capital T like a sword. And the church has done that, as have other institutions at certain times in history, and it's not been a pretty outcome. So gladly we've gotten over that and we're a little more careful when we speak about truth. And yet Ephesians doesn't allow us to abandon our commitment to truth as difficult as it might be to discover. It doesn't allow us to abandon that altogether. 
Ephesians implores us to put away falsehood. Falsehood, which is the masquerading of one thing as another, and often for the purpose of exploiting those who are weak or vulnerable or desperate or gullible. Ephesians says, put that away. Be committed to something more true. And Ephesians says, and you must speak. Now, sometimes there is a moment for silence. In fact, silence is a good place to begin speech. Silence to reflect. Silence to collect your words. Silence to listen to what someone else is saying. Silence to be connected to source so you speak with a different tenor. And yet, ultimately, the silence has to be broken at some point. Because to be silent in the face of wrongdoing is to be complicit with that wrongdoing. We don't have the luxury of silence, we who follow Jesus. So we have to speak. I was at a, a board meeting uh, one time uh, of a nonprofit. I know this is the stuff of riveting pastoral illustrations. Oh, good, another board meeting story. This is the excitement of my life. It's an organization I really care about, and, and I love what they're about, and I even more, I love the people that are a part of this organization. So being together is not work. It's actually joyful. It's, uh, it's uplifting. It's a time to be together and uh, even be inspired. And it's always congenial, and we get along and agree on everything. And we did until that one time when we didn't. Now, the substance of the disagreement is, is sort of irrelevant for the purposes today, but it was sort of how it went that I think is instructive. It got hot. It got personal. Ultimatums were thrown out. Lines drawn in the sand. One person removed himself from the meeting at one point. Another person threatened to leave the organization altogether for good. It was really uncomfortable. Now, quite frankly, I'm not sure how well we handled it. But what I'm increasingly sure of is that we were called into that moment of discomfort, of disagreement, called to wrestle with something that was important, to see if out of that wrestling, uh, something better could be born. See, conflict is not a sign of failure. It's often treated that way in our society, and especially places like church, where it's just, we like everything to be nice. We think, oh, that means we failed, but conflict is just a natural part of life. It just happens. The question is how one manages conflict. That's what measures the degree to which a community or an individual is successful or not. We who make vows to the Presbyterian church, that also I know is really a gripping statement, but we who make vows to the Presbyterian Church promise to uphold three things. I don't know if you know what they are. The peace, the unity, and the purity of the church. Now, what's wonderful about those three is that they're always in tension. They're all good, but they pull and push on one another. And any moment calls for more of one than the others, but ultimately they all have to be attended to with some balance if the community is to hold and to hold with integrity. 
So, for example, if all you care about is the peace, just keeping everything nice and no disagreement, I know that's a shallow understanding of peace, but work with me. If all you care about is maintaining the peace, you run the risk of neglecting the call to purity. Now, purity is a a tricky word, uh, maybe not the best word for this moment. Think instead of just doing the right thing. If all you want to do is keep everybody uh, in agreement, you run the risk of not doing the right thing in a key moment. On the other hand, if you're worried solely about purity or you enact your commitment to purity stridently or aggressively or even violently, well, then you are neglecting your duty to uphold the unity of the body. All three are in play all the time. Each deserves more attention depending on the moment, but none can be forgotten. It's how you balance them. This was all swirling around in my mind when I attended the 1115 Education Hour last week, hosted by our Outreach and Society Commission, looking at, the, at one of the many questions around immigration. Hard to think of a hotter issue in our country today. Many of you have strong feelings about it. As a church, we can't really not talk about it. That would just be wrapping ourselves up in the, uh, in the blanket of peace, the security blanket of that. Maybe neglecting the call for purity, for righteousness, for doing something. At least to have the conversation of whether or not to do something, either as a congregation or, or to equip people to do things as individuals, or maybe neither, but at least making that choice after conversation. Well, that was just one chapter in what we hope will be a long conversation about uh, a number of issues that relate to immigration. I hope you feel compelled to participate because we're better with your participation than without it. Last week's class in particular, or session in particular, was about the question of sanctuary and sanctuary congregations. Now, that term is a little tricky, too, because it's now being used more broadly than it once was. Many years ago, when the sanctuary movement was housing people who were fleeing uh, violent countries in Central and uh, South America, um, it meant often congregations housing people and harboring them illegally, keeping them away from federal agents. And some still do that. But it's also now being used in a broader sense to talk about different ways to help with people seeking asylum or otherwise uh, coming here for immigration status. But all that's swirling around as we talked about that, wondering how we're going to balance these things, knowing that at some point we at least have to have the conversation, as I said, balancing uh, peace with the call for purity or righteousness, knowing that um, uh, there's no peace uh, without justice. I don't say that as a threat. I say that as a description, that any peace that's, that's kept um, simply for keeping the voices at bay is built on falsehood, and Paul says, put that away. So we're called to these moments of difficult conversation, but I have a confession to make for you, and I hope you'll be forgiving when I make it. I like my church like I like my board meetings. I like them congenial. I like them fun. I like them kind of light. I like it when everybody agrees, and it's kind of like a vacation that you get to charge to your expense account. <laughs> and I like my church that way. I like it to be an hour break from the week and the rest of the world, which sometimes is hard to get through. And you deserve that. 
I think everybody deserves that kind of a break regularly. And it can't be all the church is. The church also has to go into some other places. I was reminded that it didn't end for Jesus surrounded by soft flowered petals. Well, actually, it ended, well, it ended with an empty tomb. So it did end well. And maybe flowery, you might say, fragrant, you might say. But he had to first go through the cross and the crown of thorns and the blood and the pain and the sense of betrayal and conflict. And sometimes the church has gotten it wrong in making all of life about the crucifixion. I, for one, am thrilled that our cross doesn't have Jesus still on it because he didn't spend his whole life on it. He spent a little bit of his life on it. But no doubt following Jesus in an authentic way will lead you one day or another into a painful place that might even feel like crucifixion. That's part of being faithful. And the question is, how will we handle those moments? How will we come out the other side of them? We could run away. That would be the easy thing to do in the short term. But we mustn't. We must go there, so to speak, on either this issue or other issues, because that's what's asked of us as followers of Jesus. And why do we go there? Not because we adore suffering, but because we love the subject. We love the other. We love the other as ourselves. That's why we go there. I, I encountered a song for the first time recently, an uh, old song, 1967, by the Irish singer-songwriter Van Morrison. Used to make his home in Marin. You can be proud of that. And it's a haunting song. And in it, the, uh, the storyteller, so to speak, speaks of uh, being at the bedside of his lover who's dying of tuberculosis. And the title of the song comes from the haunting line that says, I can almost smell your TB sheets. The blood-soaked sheets that accompany a death from tuberculosis. Uh, it was not a chart topper, I don't think. I'm gathering he did better with brown-eyed girl than TB sheets. But why won't that song let me go? If not for the fact that it names so gruesomely and authentically the human experience that out of love you will be drawn into the most gruesome, uncomfortable, awful places. And yet if you stay there, you'll be drawn out to the other side into what must feel like resurrection. Ephesians talks about being a uh, fragrant offering. And imagine that moving from that bloody place into a flowery place of resurrection. I was reminded the other day by an um, Episcopal priest, former Episcopal priest, colleague of mine, who said that, you know, every birth starts with a bowl of water and some blood on the floor. And that was his way of saying, even in those painful, gruesome moments, the opportunity is birth, is new life is resurrection, if you will. And wouldn't you know, you can read Ephesians like a midwifery guide. 
that shows you how to take uncomfortable encounters and turn them instead into birthplaces. Ephesians says this, be angry. Doesn't say swallow your feelings. He doesn't say uh, ignore your anger. Be angry, but don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't let the anger take root in you and sow seeds of hatred. Don't hate anyone. If you're still hating someone, get back to prayer. Be conscious of how you speak. This is how you give birth to something. Be conscious of how you speak. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths. Only what is useful for building up, for making a place for life, as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. Imagine if that was the standard of our speech, that when we speak, we would do so in a way that would give grace to those who heard, even maybe especially those with whom we disagree. Martin Buber, that same philosopher I mentioned earlier, tells a story in which he is in a heated debate with somebody uh, after a presentation, and he, he, he argues them into silence. And that's when he knows he's lost, not that he's won. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice. Now, that's a big drawer. Anger, wrath, wrangling, slander, malice. And don't get lost in the imagery. You don't just get to put it away once and for all. Wouldn't that be nice? Today, I'm going to put away all those things. It's an incremental, daily discipline of putting away that is grounded in prayer. Every day, every moment, am I putting those things away so that I might be kind Be kind to one another, Ephesians says, tender-hearted, forgiving, as God in Christ has forgiven you. Remember, grace has been shown to us already. Might we show a little to one another? And if we can do those things, Ephesians says we will be nothing short of imitators of God. Living in love as Christ has loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering. There it is to God. Can we strive to be a fragrant offering to the world and to each other? Because if not, we stink. That was another Bible joke. (laughs) It it does, though. His imagery makes me think of the women who went to the tomb. Assuming that the stench of Jesus' body now three days in the ground would be awful, and so they bring spices to anoint him. And wouldn't you know, when they attempt to bring fragrance to a smelly situation, they're greeted not just with a surprise, but with resurrection. We get to participate in resurrection when we bring fragrance to a difficult situation. Well, as the great Presbyterian preacher Lauren Halsey reminds us, putting ourselves in the difficult place of encountering the other and the other's position, in the end can grow our understanding and connect us more deeply. And you just might find that if we do so in faith, that you'd be surprised at what we can take, at what we can withstand unscathed. Because wouldn't you know, this old book still reads. Amen.
You may be seated. So we talk about the life in this beloved community. I'm aware that life brings different seasons, and for some of you, simply getting here even once in a while is a feat in and of itself. But there may be other seasons in which you can get involved more deeply, and my sense is that Protestant churches can be one of two things. They can be a lecture series or they can be a community. And which one it is depends on you. And so I encourage you in your own way and in a way that works for you and your family to plug in more deeply to help this grow more and more into a beloved community. Whether it's helping out with teaching or joining a committee or getting involved in many of the affinity groups we have or maybe working on an issue that speaks to you. You can find out more about all that goes on in the life of this church in the bulletin, on the website, through the newsletter and so on and so forth. You'll see in our bulletin today an opportunity for someone to be on a board that we supply members to to work on affordable housing in this county, which has the highest income uh, inequality in all of California. Uh, You can see the various opportunities for Sunday school programs, like the one that began today with our youngest children, which may be the most important thing we do this entire year. So find a way to recognize what God has given you and to share it with this community, in doing so, uh, have your joy multiplied in our presence. And with that, I invite you to stand in body or rise in body or spirit for our closing hymn number 693. As we go from here, I'd remind you to give special care to those whose prayers were cut short by tears and wonder whose prayers are too tender to even speak and be that gentle with one another. And as you go from here, go with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God who is father and mother of us all, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit this day, every day. Amen. Amen.